Welcome to Champagne Problems. We are your hosts, Robbie Shaw and Patrick Balsley. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we explore our mental health, well-being, performance, and longevity, and how our relationships with alcohol can influence each. No shame, no labeling, no judgment, just curiosity. Welcome back, Curious Ones. Today we have a special episode for all you lovers out there. Claire Byrne, heartbreak coach and founder of the program and podcast called Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better. Claire will be joining us to discuss not only her expertise and understanding and getting through heartbreak, but also her guidance around the influence alcohol can have in this process. Hey, we've all been through a breakup. We've all been hurt. It's no fun. Who better to talk to than a heartbreak coach? Let's go to Claire. Claire Byrne, welcome to Champagne Problems. Thank you so much, Robbie and Patrick. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, we are delighted to have you on. Shout out to Perry Silver for the introduction. Woo! Ride New York <laughs> represents. Thanks, Perry. That's right. <laughs> so so interesting. I met another guy from Rye like three weeks ago. Um, I'll drop his name to you after this. But I, for some reason, it's you and this other guy I went on a trip with. And all of a sudden, Rye has become this place that everybody I'm meeting is from. And it's you're, you're Charlotte-based. And my brother and his wife and kids and my parents live there now. So There wow. you go. Look at that. All the connections. Love it. We're so connected. <laughs> and Perry's here now. I mean, what a, oh, what a great addition. Okay. Um, so... Personally, very interested in this topic. Obviously, a lot of us have been through heartbreak, maybe all of us, um, and potentially we'll go through it again. Um, I personally, I've told my story many a time, and my first big heartbreak is what shot me into my addiction and wow. subsequent sobriety. And not that it was all about that, but that is what you know shot me into that space. Uh, it really messed me up. So I love this topic. I'm very excited to dig into it. Um, before we get going, we're going to get to know you real quick. We're going to do a little rapid fire. You ready? Ooh, yes. Ready for it. <laughs> All right. What was your first live music concert and where? Indigo Girls, New York City, 10th grade. I couldn't tell you the exact venue. Love it. Love <laughs> it. What's your, what's your favorite unhealthy food? <laughs> Ooh, I am such a health freak. I guess Chinese yeah yeah that's super unhealthy yeah that's pretty unhealthy <laughs> i so my my boyfriend he has four kids and i moved to santa barbara to start a life with them and you know now it's like i was living this la healthy lifestyle would never touch that stuff and now i'm like yeah. oh I'll have pizza i'll have chinese yeah. on their plate little, sun, little sunday night takeout <laughs> exactly. never hurt anybody exactly I love it. Chinese is by far my my guiltiest Ugh, pleasure. It's the spot, yeah. I mean, crush it. <laughs> I set records with Chinese food. All right, what vacation spot is your happy place? Ooh, we just went to Hawaii. That was a pretty happy place for sure. It was oh, yeah. my first time ever, so uh, it was pretty magical. That said, I live in Santa Barbara, California. This is a pretty, pretty magical, magical place. So there, 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 there's like a lot of comparisons. I'm like, this sort of looks like Santa Barbara, but there's um, an energy in Hawaii for sure that's pretty magical. Totally, totally. I did my honeymoon there and have always said, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to live out my years there. Absolutely. Hopefully in retirement. <laughs> no. Hopefully much later. Yeah. <laughs> Not too shabby of a place to die. No. no. <laughs> what can make you lose your temper? 
So mm. <laughs> I immediately go to my boyfriend, um, <laughs> which truly he's my, my dream partner. But I think the things that like really stress me out is lack of planning. He's very fly by the seat of his pants and I need to know things ahead of time. So he was like, oh, so next week when my dad is here, I'm like, whoa, what did you, mm. he's like, my dad's coming for two weeks and his dad <laughs> is lovely. It's more like, how did you not tell me those things? Granted, he's yep. got a very busy job. He's got four kids. He thinks he's told me things. Those things yes. get me under my skin. But since, and I know we're going to segue into this, since I've been drinking significantly less, I'm able to manage the reactions more, but I'm a fiery Irish woman. So temper is my middle name. Fire-ish. <laughs> I love it. Fire-ish. <laughs> um, all right. So last but not least, give us one experience off of your bucket list. Ooh, oh, that I've already checked off. Not necessarily. Oh, but whatever you whatever you'd like to to let people hear. You know, this is going to sound really basic. I'm I'm from Ireland. I lived there as a kid. I spent six months in Dublin when I was studying abroad. All of our extended family is over there, but I really have not done Europe. You know, I visited Italy when my friends were there. I've been to London a few times. Every time I go to Ireland, it's mostly about family. So I actually was just saying to my partner, I would love to just do a month or six weeks, like really getting to go to Spain and Italy and France and, and do all of that, which I've never had the time to do or really taken the time to do. Love it. Yeah. But again, it's kind of basic. I feel like everybody says that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Some people are a little more extreme, like jump off of a building or stuff. Nope, like that. Not huh? interested in that at all. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, now we know you. Um, Let's dive in. Yeah. You ready? Sure. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and 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 assume that you've had your own experience with some heartbreak that might have led to, to what you do. Just a little, Robbie. Just yeah, a little. just a touch. <laughs> Not a, definitely a safe assumption, I, 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 I guess. So would you mind giving us a little bit about a little bit, little bit of that journey? Absolutely. So I'm 42 now, and I spent all of my 20s and half of my 30s most of, mostly in New York City and then LA a little bit back and forth in my late 20s and then back again in my 30s pursuing acting and so I really like to incorporate a lot of drama into my personal life as well and you know it's a, it was a lot of struggle you know feast and famine lifestyle some years were really lucrative some years were creatively lucrative and I was struggling in, in those areas for sure, but I really found that the most excruciating pain was when a relationship didn't work out. Mainly my what I refer to as my rock bottom relationship at 29 and 30 years old with someone who I would describe to be a narcissistic sociopath, living double okay. life, telling me I was absolutely crazy for thinking that he would ever go astray when he was actually going astray. Going astray. Oh, Tangled God. web yeah. of lies, just the classic cliche case of yeah. terrible boyfriend but i just a real delight of a human being real delight like. of a human being right? what's his name go ahead Let's, i know we'll get I, would it out there it. Now. I would love it and he's still in showbiz so you've no idea how much i would love to share it but oh, um, man. oh god but we're gonna rise above anyway oh yes yes yes, yes. i already forgotten about that asshole and you know what i always say it's like i you know again was raised irish catholic not necessarily practicing today but um, God bless my dad. He said once when I was just so down in the dumps, so devastated, could barely function shell of a person physically, mentally, and emotionally. And my dad said, you know what I would do, Claire? I'd go to church and I'd light him a candle because people who behave like that are hurting so much more. 
than what you oh. are. And I was like, you're a saint. Wise man. You're a saint, Wise Peter man. Byrne, but also not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the advice, but. I'll let you go pray for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, the, but to be fair, you know, it is, I do, I do agree, right? Someone who's going to behave that way is hurting way more than me. And he's like, you know, he's getting into bed with another person to have a warm body in the bed, but you're grieving, you're feeling right. And he's not doing that. And he said, as your dad, you know, I hate to see you hurting, but I'm also glad to know that you're processing this you know? healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. But, um, you guys, I had not been to therapy at that point in my life. I was interested in self-help books and self-development. I, you know, was artsy fartsy lifestyle for sure. But I was in such a dark place and just really, this is going to sound very dramatic, but really lost my faith in humanity. I didn't, I didn't know who to trust anymore. I mean, my parents were amazing. They, they were living in Rye. I was able to move back in with them. My dad came and got me in a snowstorm and helped me move out. And, you know, there was so much support, but I thought I I'm never going to open my heart up again to anyone. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. that I fell for all of this. I knew him from the past as a friend, but I knew he was trouble and really the most important, it's not really, and this is what I say to my clients all the time. This is not about what he did, even though what he did was so horrific and really a lifetime movie couldn't make the stuff up. And we don't have enough time to get into the <laughs> ridiculousness. And now myself and the other woman, our friends, I went to her wedding. We pieced all the parts back together and, wow. you know, every hunch that I had and she had was right. But he told both of us that we were crazy and triangulated yeah each other against each other and all of that. But most importantly, it was like, what is this reaction that I'm having? Cause I couldn't, I could barely function at that point. I was already teaching yoga. So again, I was definitely on a soul searching journey and I loved yoga, both as a physical practice and a spiritual practice, but it like took everything in me to just show up for a class where I was making $35 an hour to just like put a smile on my face and say, you know, the light within me honors and recognizes the light within you. And I really wanted to just die. Exactly. <laughs> right. oh, and God. so, uh, that was really just a big eye opener for me. And I was broke at the time, just as I said, $35, but I had, I was, I had private clients and I was making enough from commercials and stuff through acting, but Ultimately, I couldn't find a decent therapist in New York. And this, I just want to be clear, I'm not knocking therapy versus coaching just because I'm a coach. I ultimately did find an incredible therapist in LA, but I found a few therapists in New York who really shamed me about the situation and kind of dumbed down my pain, diminished my pain. And Oh. I, it was a really terrible experience. And so then I wasn't really interested in searching anymore. I think I, I tried three different ones and they were just either very clinical or really, you know, judged me for the reaction that I had. Like one, one woman was what? just like, so he was a cad. So you got hoodwinked by a cad. I'm like, I don't even know oh what a cad God. is. That was the first time. <laughs> Jesus. But then it let's, really... out let's out those people. I know it's terrible. It's that's not good terrible. at all. And so that's unfortunate. That's a big component of the work that I do now is I'm a tough love coach. I identify as someone who's tough and like, let's get to it, but there's still space first with the compassion of the pain that you're moving through. But then it's like, okay, do you want to be the victim of your story or do you want to be the heroine of your story? And you are justifiably the victim if you've been a victim of narcissistic abuse, but do you want to carry that story with you? 
for into your next relationship or on your dating journey where you're like waiting for the next shoe to drop. So, uh, went back to LA, as I said, found an amazing therapist. That's where we, I really found the component, even though I was already a yoga teacher, this idea of mindfulness, compassion was very different than what I experienced with yoga. It's just sit with it and allow it and be with it, which is so important. The, where are you storing the, the emotional pain in your body? But can you be mindful with the thoughts and allow those thoughts and have compassion for yourself for having those thoughts? That was such a game changer for me. And then, you know, I was always just a soul searcher looking for the next thing to kind of keep healing and growing. Even though I felt like I was really healing my heart over that rock bottom relationship, I still was attracting unavailable men. They were never as terrible as he was, but I still, you know, didn't know how to discern what unavailability was versus availability. Ultimately, yeah. I discovered coaching. I became a generalized, a generalized, a life coach for women, just like a general life coach. Mm -hmm. Got my heart broken one more time in 2017. And I know you said we can't avoid heartbreak for the rest of our lives, but I hope this is the last romantic heartbreak. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm pretty solid with Larry, my partner. Now he's a dream, but that 2017 breakup was next level eye opener for me. It was very heartbreaking, but I was a coach at the time. And I'm like, wait, I know how to heal this pain. I know how to yeah. move through this differently. I decided I wanted to look up heartbreak coaching just to see. And there was no one in 2017 where like the name jumped out heartbreak coach. And it just hit me right there. I need to do something with this because I know I'm not alone. I, I was in LA and New York. I had lots of single friends going through the same shit. And I decided to create a healing heartbreak process. Uh, talk about really leaning into enjoying yourself as a single woman, regardless of the age that you are, that there shouldn't be shame attached to being single in your 30s or in your 40s. And then ultimately, once I was moving and grooving and happy in my life and feeling healed and pretty whole, which again, not perfectly healed, perfectly whole, right? There's always stuff to work no on and thing. heal. Yeah, no exactly. Um, and then I was like, I'm, I'm ready to find my person. And I truly created a process to call in love because I was so done with looking outside of myself for the answers. And I was like, wait, I know how to do this. And then called my partner, Larry, into my life three and a half years ago. And here we are. That was mm. a long answer. Sorry, but that was story. a journey. <laughs> All right, I got about seventy-five thousand <laughs> questions now. Go for it, Patrick. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, I mean, one of the things that I always like to think about, and you touched on it a little bit in terms of attracting, you know, emotionally unavailable people into our lives. Can we dive into that a little bit Absolutely. and kind of talk about what that process looks like and what it is that that's happening within us that attracts us to people that aren't available? You know, that's the big mystery. What's happening inside of us when we're attracting unavailable people and when we're drawn to unavailable people, right? And there's so many different theories, right? You know, childhood and what kind of bond did you have with your dad yeah. or your mom and all of that, which I yes. think that there's a lot of validity to that. And then I think that there are your soul contracts, right? I do believe in the spiritual realm mm -hmm. of that. People really coming in your life as a teacher. And are you going to rise to the occasion to clock the unavailability and leave? And I think that that really is a big difference between therapy and coaching. I don't really focus on the why, even though the why is valid. I'm just saying specifically for my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's more like this is happening 
and I'm really drawn to this person. Maybe there's a chemistry, there's a chemical pull, or there's just this thing you can't put a, put uh, words to. I can't even put words to what I'm saying. Right. But, but is, are you paying attention to see if this person is available? And even if you are pulled to them, are you willing to walk away when you can tell for sure that they're unavailable? And that will take I always say you you can find out in two months whether this person is available or not. Not two months. You can yeah. figure out if this person is your partner for life. Right. But I don't think it's, a, and I say this to my clients all the time. I don't think it's a problem that you're drawn to unavailability. I think it's a problem that you keep saying yes to unavailability when you yeah. keep yeah. writing on yeah, the yeah. wall and you keep painting green over red flags. So explain what unavailability is, not just in the sense that they are potentially in another relationship, but unavailable Absolutely. emotionally and that kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I actually think the unavailability, because they're emotionally unavailable, even though they're technically available on paper, they're not in a relationship with someone else. Right. I actually think that's harder, right? It's so much easier when it's like, okay, well, you're in another relationship or you've been yeah. cheating. That's still totally. very painful, but I do think it's like what makes, and I'm just speaking in heteronormative terms here. I'm a woman. Yep. I coach mostly women, straight women. I I'm open to, I do coach gay women and, but I don't coach men. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All good. I have, but anyway, so forgive me, anyone listening just for the, uh, the convenience sake of he versus she, but sure. you know, I do think, uh, women tend to justify staying if he's single and don't pay attention to the fact that he doesn't want to make a plan in advance. He doesn't want to introduce you to his friends. He kind of shuts down maybe after sex and you're just like, Hey, what's happening here? Any kind of conversation about what you're looking for in a relationship. It's very surface. Or it could go the opposite. Oh my God, I'm so into you. You're so amazing. Yes, let's make all these future plans. It could be hot, 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 or a little shut off and disconnected. Um, and also, you know, blowing up your phone for the hot, hot, hot all day, every day. And then all of a sudden, wait, where did this person go? And you think, oh my God, we've been so deeply connected. And I'm like sitting over here thinking you've known him for one month and you think, you know, him really, really well, because he's blowing up your phone all day, every day, which I don't think is healthy. I don't think is normal. I think going at a slower pace and also continuing to date other people so that you're not locking yourself in with this one person just because of the immediate draw and attraction. As I always said, by the time I met Larry at 38, I was no spring chicken and I was going <laughs> to keep swiping, even though I was really drawn to him because I didn't have enough information yet. And it takes time to get to know somebody. So when someone wants to go hot, 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 I'm like, wait, he should not be talking about future plans. He should not be planning three, four, five dates in advance with you. He should not be blowing up your phone and you should not be making yourself so available just because he wants to call you every day. Like that's, he's not your boyfriend yet. So, right. you know, I'm giving you a few examples, but really yeah, yeah. you have to just experience it when you're in it. And then there's something to be said about listening to your gut. Does this person feel like he's, you know, walking the walk and his actions are lining up with his words? Yes. Well, so, so I, my mind goes to, you know, often we deal in, in extremes and you know, when you shared your journey, your your big rock bottom heartbreak was was pretty extreme, mm -hmm. and, and not in the sense of your experience that as well, but him 
being a narcissist, being a sociopath, being a cheater, being a liar, no morals, no character, all that stuff. That's that that's not par for the course. That's pretty extreme. So when you're coaching, when you're working with people on how to find Mr. Right, Mr. Mr. Uh, the one, the <laughs> one, wrong, right. Or yeah, someone that is just pleasant to be around, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to start at the beginning, you know, not everybody's going to, people are going to have little red flags. They're not, but that doesn't mean they're a sociopath. It doesn't, you know, so how do you coach in that space? Because there's growth to be, to, to be done. Right. I mean, we all grow. We're not all perfect. We're not all perfectly mentally healthy in relationships as well. Such a great question. And I always remind my clients of this. And I talk about this a lot on my own podcast. I, are we allowed to curse? Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I freaked the fuck out. I was already a heartbreak (laughs) coach, very established in my business and my career doing really great, really solid in my relationship with myself. And when Larry came into my life, I freaked the fuck out. I was like, oh my God, who is this man? He's such a grown up. I'm so drawn to him. He treats me like a woman and just like is so amazing. And I can just see the difference between what I was settling for and who this guy is and how he's showing up, even though he has four kids, even though he has a really demanding job, even though he lives 80 miles away. And in between those times when we were seeing each other, I was like, oh my God, I can't handle it. I like him so much. And I'm so scared that he's going to like oh my God. hurt me. And like, now we totally laugh about it, but I never preach like, oh, and I was just so grounded, calm and clear. And there were moments between us where I thought he was pulling back. He thought I was pulling back and there would be these awkward, clunky conversations. Right. So I do think that that's a part of it. And what I always say to my clients is that you have to step back and you have to look at the whole picture. Is there enough there that you like? And you, and if you clock a couple of things, can you still proceed forward and be willing to move through that fear until you have enough information to decide whether or not to walk or not? And so a lot of my clients do come to me having experienced pain, heartache, disappointment, a lot of the time, the trauma that I experienced. And so it is like your brain is just like danger, 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 danger. And yeah. very easy, mm-hmm. perfect example, a woman in my, I have a group coaching program and a woman in the group, she's newly dating someone. She really likes him. He's got some stuff and nothing, nothing against him, but like, you know, dealing with, um, alimony stuff with the ex and custody stuff. And, you know, just, he, he was very clear with her and said, I'm interested in you. I do need to take things slowly because I'm being transparent with you that there's like this stuff going on. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that. But then as time goes on and she's hanging out with him, she's like, no, I'm really starting to like him. And I didn't hear from him for a couple of days and I'm freaking out. And he warned me of this. He told me he was going to do it. Yeah. And I was like, he said he wants to take things slowly. Just like check yourself. And what she wanted to do was like, say something to him when he did reach out like, Hey, stranger. And I'm like, he's not a stranger. You're newly dating. Right. And so it's like, my job is to just check them for where they at, where they're at. She was five dates in it's going really well, but he's got other stuff. She didn't hear from him for a couple of days. We don't love that, but keep moving forward. He hasn't given you a reason to bounce yet. And he hasn't given a reason you a reason to think that he's been a stranger. If he disappeared for two days, Sure enough, he circles back and he's like, I'm sorry, I've been MIA, like more shit hit the fan. And he's like, and I'm really Mm -hmm. looking forward to seeing you on Friday. And she was like, I'm so glad I didn't say (laughs) it. Right? So it's like, 
but she could have said something and maybe that yeah. was like annoying to him, but the you can't say the wrong thing to the right person, right? Like if she did make that like, hey, stranger, he could have been like, hey, sorry. Or he could have been like, who the fuck are you? We don't know. But right. my job as their coach is to help them stay in their own lane and manage their freakouts and not make their freakouts the other person's problem, especially when we're in early stages of the dating journey with that person but you're going to fuck up. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to no overreact. Question. And I remember the first time that, again, I mean, you, I'm, you won't be surprised. I had a few drinks in me and I like totally uh. had an overreaction to something that irritated me. But I knew that if I didn't have a few drinks in me, I would have handled that so much better. And I remember waking up the next morning and I'm like, this is the part where he tells me I should leave, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. waiting for it. And I was like, I'm feeling so much shame about what happened. And he was like, who cares? We had a fight. You were drinking. I was drinking. And here we are. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, uh, to do. I love you even more. Right. Because <laughs> you're evaluating the whole person before writing them off completely. Got it. Great answer. Wow. One of the one of the things that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about unavailability, um, I feel like and this definitely happened in a lot of my relationships younger, you know, earlier in my life. But I always I, I never was mindful enough to pay attention to any of that because I was too caught up in like the honeymoon phase of the relationship. And can you talk a little bit about how moving into a relationship, um, how can we check in with ourselves to make sure that we're able to evaluate the, the early stages of the relationship in a healthy way, instead of kind of what I used to do was like I would, I would meet a girl and I would project this image of the perfect relationship on her, and I would try so hard to make that be what I was in a in the relationship with, instead of actually being able to see you know those red flags in the beginning of unavailability and and then. You know, and then once I got to know her, or once we got to know each other, it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this isn't what we thought it was. And the heartbreak, it's you know? a great question. And, and, and then the heartbreak is so much bigger because you're attached to this idea of what you wanted exactly. her to be and what you got, what you wanted both of you to be versus, mm -hmm. wow, actually, there were so many signs now looking back that we weren't compatible. And yeah. what I have my clients do is, and this isn't like some very fancy, unique tool that a lot of people may haven't heard of before, but I just make a list of your negotiables and your non-negotiables of what you're looking yeah. for in a partner. And that being said, I was not like, Oh, I'm really looking for someone who has four children and lives 80 miles away. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't have to be so nitty gritty, but I, I, the, the core values of the kind of partnership I wanted to be in were, you know, super, clear to me, right? Like a, a, someone who cares about family, who wants, you know, the weekends to be about each other, like little things like that are routines. You know, I said on my Bumble profile, uh, I go to bed at a grandma bedtime. Like I go to bed super early, like no surprises. You're not going to find me at the club on Sunday brunch, like hungover on Monday. Like that's just not me. And especially in LA, there's just different types of lifestyles that people, you know, have. And I wanted to be really clear about mine and just, um, you know, what are your five love languages or what are your top love languages out of the five love languages? How do you want to operate? I think a really important um, aspect for me was 
Larry was just, he's a lawyer, but he was so interested in me as a coach. He was very interested in my family. He was very interested in my friends. I said something on my profile about, you know, I'm, I'm, I have two older brothers. I'm the only girl I've never had a sister. I always wanted a sister. And so I, I made a point and he was like, tell me about your friends. Who are your friends? Like, I really felt like he was so interested in me and I was so interested in him. It's like really just going to the basics outside of the chemistry and the passion. And yeah. also I really appreciate it. It's like the little things that became so much bigger for me. And I always say when, once you've been heartbroken, but then when you find your ideal relationship, you think the littlest things that they do are the most amazing things. Like yeah. Larry prepared like soup and a sandwich for me one day. And I was so <laughs> stressed. I was doing, I was building my whole course and I was so stressed out. And I'm like, I don't think any man has ever done this for me before. He was like, wow, my bar is set real low, you know? <laughs> but just like really feeling like, does this person see me? Are they hearing me? Are they interested? Do I appreciate the questions that they're asking me? Um, he's got a very full life. As I said, I felt like on the time that he did have available, he, it was clear that I was his priority in his limited free time. Those are the things that are important to me. You have to get clear on what your values are and the way that you two are operating. I felt like we liked doing the same things, like going for walks on the beach and yummy brunches and yummy dinner and just like chilling and like watching Netflix. Like we're boring. And now it's basketball life with his boys. Then I find that super fun. Right. But like that won't be fun for other people. Are we compatible? And do I feel really seen and heard and our, and our love and are our love languages compatible and and how do we compromise for each other because we are different in certain ways so um and and like really seeing that the other person is working to make the other person happy love it love it um so i want to go a little bit back to heartbreak yeah and almost in an educational sense i'd like to learn a little bit more about it and i think our listeners would like to know a little bit more about it as it, as it pertains to what does it mean to be heartbroken almost from a psychology standpoint, right? Like, I mean, the feelings are probably very similar to grief and loss. Absolutely. Um, you know, what are factors that influence the, the, the intensity of heartbreak? Um, you know, there's codependency stuff, like you mentioned before, there's family dynamics, there's family systems, like personality characteristics, even mental health states, disorders, whatever you want to, whatever may be going on. I, I assume all those are kind of factors into the intensity of a heartbreak. Can you give your version of what does it mean to be heartbroken? Yeah. I mean, again, it's a very dramatic version, but the actress and let's do it. Dies. But I mean, to me, when I was heartbroken, especially my rock bottom, I also went through a very painful heartbreak before that rock bottom, but he wasn't a terrible person. I actually consider him an old dear friend now, but it really, to your point, it felt like the death of somebody to me. It really felt like, and, and people have told me because I'm going to touch wood. I have not yet experienced both my parents are alive and well, I have not experienced someone very, very close to me. Who's a part of my life every day, never had pets. So I haven't experienced the loss of a loved one due to death yet. And, but people who have experienced that have told me that actually the grief, and, and again, it's different for everybody, but the grief of losing someone when they're still walking the earth and you're not a part of their life is actually next level painful. I think, and I'm going to speak for like my clients and me, cause I tend to attract 
the people that are experiencing and feeling what I'm, what I was feeling in my heartbreak was just the, like, if he doesn't love me, then I'm not lovable, right? Like the beliefs, right? Like I'm not worthy of love. What's wrong with me? There must yeah. be something wrong with me. I even went down. I mean, but also to just add, you know, we can talk about how terrible my rock bottom ex was, but I always say it was the lack of love that I had for myself that I didn't even realize that attracted him into my life so that I could see the mirror reflection of how the way he was treating me was actually in so many ways, how I was treating myself physically, mentally, and emotionally, always berating myself as an actress. I'm not talented enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough, you know? Um, and then the, the financial stress of all of that. Right. So I, you know, there's no coincidence as to how I attracted him. Right. But just feeling so unworthy, so unloved and I really felt and talk about codependency, like uh, if he doesn't want me, then yeah, I'm not lovable, but also, uh, what is it that I'm trying to say that like, there's no point I wasn't suicidal, but I felt like there was no point for going on. I felt like I had nothing if I didn't mm. have him. Yeah. Something that didn't really bother me, but I know bothers so many other women specifically is, you know, oh, I'm now in my early thirties and all of my friends are settling down. As we mentioned, I grew up in Rye, New York. Most of my friends were getting married in their late twenties, early thirties, have three kids by 35. Right. And mm -hmm. same with the college that I went to. So there was that culture where everybody was checking off those boxes. I do also think even though again, it wasn't my experience because I really kind of owned my unique artsy fartsy lifestyle, that pressure of, oh my gosh, what are other people going to think? And if it's not him, am I ever going to find anybody else? And having shame around being alone and no one choosing you, not just that person, not choosing you, but no one choosing you. And then the mm. heartbreak and the fear and the shame of that. So I don't really think that that was the most articulate, but just feeling like your world is coming to an end and that, and, and making that other person, your other half and like depending on them, right. Codependency to complete you, fulfill you, make you happy. So if that's taken away, you really feel like you have nothing. Yeah. Intense. Yeah, it is wow. intense. And so, but with that, really healthy, beautiful relationship with my partner, Larry. But I also always say if he left me tomorrow, I would also feel the same way. I think the difference is, is that I know I'm an incredible partner to him and I know my worth and I would be so devastated if he left me tomorrow, but I could really make peace with, there's nothing I would have done differently. Like he's seen my ugly side, but I've seen his ugly side, right? So yeah. it doesn't mean to your point, what you said at the beginning, Robbie, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, immune to heartbreak once you've healed some heartbreak, right. right? If he left me tomorrow, I'd be devastated. It would take me a really long time to recover and I'd have to move through my whole process. But I think the difference would be okay, but I'm still worthy. I'm still lovable. And, you know, I hate to say that like that bitter Betty kind of his loss, but I genuinely would think like his loss because I'm so confident in the partner that I am to him. And we operate on a much higher conscious level than I ever have with any of my other partners. But it also makes me the most confident that I'm a hundred percent sure he's my person for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you coach your clients through the grieving process? Like I, I would, 
I would imagine that if you're getting these these women that you know have just recently experienced some sort of heartbreak, and I, I can imagine some of the time some of them are focused on okay, I'm not dating anybody. I need to be okay. I need to work on myself. And then I'm sure there's some other ones that are like, okay, F him, on to the next one. I got to find a new partner, you know, that's bigger and better and blah, 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 blah. How how do you kind of hold space or coach them through their own process to to make sure that they've healed over that breakup before they move into into a new relationship? What so many of them forget is to give themselves permission to grieve. They often come to me and they're just like, fix this so I don't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. And you do not get to bypass the grief. And that's going to look different for everybody. For me, I wanted to just be in bed and cry and not function outside of the responsibilities that I had and just let it out. But at that time, I didn't know that that was okay to do. I judged it, you know, and my Irish Catholic parents, God bless them. They'd be like, come on, get out of bed. Like, you know, mm-hmm. encouraging me and rallying for me to get on. Have a drink. Life. Yeah. Oh, you have no <laughs> idea. Like... When I first came home and my dad picked me up in the snow, my mom came in with a glass of wine. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> Bottle of bourbon. I yeah. actually, the one time that I don't, I'm not interested is when I'm depressed. So I was like, mom, what are you doing? Alcohol is a depressant. <laughs> I can't, but you know, to really let yourself grieve. They often say, how do I get rid of this anger? How do I get rid of this pain? The only way is through it. I know I'm not the first person Mm -hmm. to say that. So, um, I love emotional freedom technique, tapping, um, meditation, grieving, reading books, like letting yourself grieve, journal it out, get out on paper. What is it that you're thinking and feeling? It's okay to want revenge. It's okay to hate him. Just get it out in a safe space. Um, I love those anger rooms where you can go and break shit like yeah, rage rooms, rage rooms, right? Like get, do whatever you need to do. But I just, um, I had a new client the other day say, you know, how do I get out of this anger? And I'm like, have you let yourself feel it? And she was like, well, I went to a rage room once and I'm like, and how long was that for? And she was like an hour. I'm like, can you honestly say in the last year and a half that you've been grieving this heartbreak, that that's the only time you've given yourself permission to actually grieve. And she's like, yeah. And then she said a week later, it's been a game changer with I, with me giving her that permission to just allow yeah. herself to feel it. Of course you feel this way. He totally duped you. He treated you like shit. He's now left you for a younger woman. He's giving her everything mm. that he wouldn't give you. Of course you're angry. Of course you want him to suffer. Of course you're in pain. Of course you feel like shit. Can you honor that before then I offer them uh, them ways to create peaceful closure on the situation. So mm. I still think my rock bottom X is a motherfucker, but we're here laughing about it now. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't appreciate anything that he's done, but I'm a stronger woman for it. I thank him. He's my teacher. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have the success or be on this path that I'm yeah. walking on now. And I wouldn't have found Larry. Like, you know, we can again yeah, talk about the shitty partner he was, but I wasn't great in that relationship. So, you know, really getting peaceful closure, not okaying the behavior, but your own understanding of the situation. So that then when you do go out to find someone, I I have a program called stop wanting him back and find someone better. It's the same title as my podcast, right? Then when you are ready to go find someone better, you're not carrying this bitter story about what he did. And therefore that's what men do. And then make yeah. generalizations again, your trauma You're just will like my up. ex. Yeah. Yeah. And the trauma, as I said, will still pop up and I still freaked out, but 
you've got a much better grasp on yourself and on the past. And it will be your job to navigate, not lumping the past into the present and the future. Yeah. That was a, that was a Key. really good explanation. I love, I love thinking about it just in the, the therapy process or the therapeutic process where it's be aware of it, get familiar with it, accept it, forgive it and make it a part of you moving forward. It's okay. Exactly. Like, and there you go. Just because that person did that horrific thing to you doesn't mean that everybody else is, but it also no. doesn't mean, you know, some people come into my program and they're like, um, yeah, I just, I don't want to feel this anymore. So, and I'm like, okay, well, um, I, when I say stop <laughs> well, putting it back gonna. and find someone better, I don't mean, and the next person you meet is going to be your person, right? I have women in my program who have get their heart hurt a couple of more times before they find their person, right? Because there's more healing, more growing, more learning to do. And it's all a part of the process. There's no guarantees, but I think for anybody listening who may be heartbroken and terrified of opening their hearts again, what I really came to was after doing a lot of the healing work, after really leaning into my own relationship with myself and really loving myself on a next level, which that could be a whole podcast episode on yes. <laughs> in its own right, yes. right? Is I decided I knew I wanted partnership more than anything else. By the time I hit my late thirties, I'm like, no, I want this. I want to share my life oh. with someone. And I think too, a lot of women, and I'm not speaking for all women, there is in the one hand, they're feeling ashamed that they're still single. Right. But on the other hand, there's this message of like, get your career, be independent. You don't need a man. And it's like, no, I don't mm -hmm. need one, but I really wanted to share my life. Again, the actress in me, I always had this dream of kind of this Hollywood romance and having it all, being emotionally connected, having the fireworks, all of that. And I really got clear and decided if I get my heart broken 10 more times, I'm going to keep showing up because I do believe that in a lifelong partnership and I do believe it's available to me. And I do believe that I have a lot to offer someone really amazing. And so I'm not going to stop until I find them. And yeah. so with that, like, but you have to be willing to be resilient to experience the disappointment again. Yeah. That said, yeah. if you're following my process, that's gotta be hard for people. Yeah. Know? But if you're following my process, I just spoke to another woman a couple of days ago and she got totally duped. But when she described the timeline and the, the, the crumbs that she was settling for, I'm like, this would have been nipped in the bud so much sooner if you were yeah. getting coached by me at the time. And I'm not saying that to shame her. I'm just saying there are things that people are settling for that are red flags right like that are blaring <laughs> or like yeah. flailing yeah, in yeah. your face right that you could still get hurt but you could nip it in the bud so much earlier i mean there's so much more i want to talk in that space specific i'm just going to say it but specifically vulnerability that's just mm -hmm. the, i mean i know that you could probably go on and on and on about vulnerability but we don't have time and what i want to do is jump into the alcohol topic just yes. in the spirit in the spirit of our, our of our mission uh i i have seen that you you had a, a self challenge or whatever you want to call it from january february and and even into now and and that was a, a removing or a decrease of alcohol can you share a little bit about that? Uh, you know, there is a part of me that wants to combine this with what you do for as a profession. I'm not sure we have enough time. So let's first go with what you your journey with the uh, the decrease in alcohol first. So 100% Irish, you know, you're either going to be an alcoholic who can't handle it, or I can handle a lot of it. And yeah. when I say <laughs> a lot for me personally, I I just have the habit or had, I should say, this is my new self talking now, Yeah, it um, is. probably five <laughs> nights a week, having two drinks a night. So 10, I would say on average eight to 12 drinks a week. That would be, if I could do that regularly, 
that would be amazing if it didn't have such a negative impact. And it's a sneaky impact. I'm irritable and more sensitive and more anxious. And, you know, I'm now in my early forties, my body just is not processing it the same. So I was, it's puffier my skin. And, um, I, I knew that I was just being really reactive, but I've done this for years, you know, the typical dry January, and then I'm going to segue into just allotting myself four drinks a week. And it always sneaks back up. And I just decided, you know, I don't know if it was just the fact that, and I embrace, I just turned 42 in February. I don't have a thing about I'm getting old. Like I, I feel like I'm happier than I've ever been, (laughs) but you know, looking at, you know, your health changes, your body changes, hormones and all of that stuff. I just started to, I'm just thinking more about like making sure I'm taking the best care of myself and wanting to feel good and less anxious and less irritable. And Larry would like that too. And so I just decided, um, this year I'm, I'm making sure I'm really doing it different. And so far here we are in early March. And instead of just allotting myself four drinks a week, it's actually, what are the events going on this week where I would like to treat myself to a drink or two. So that means some weeks I just don't drink at all, which has been such a game changer. I feel like a new woman and I just think it's so doable. I used to think, oh no, like once my lips touch it, then I'll want it. It's not, I'll want five more drinks that night. It's that then the next night I'll want another two. And then the next Mm -hmm. night it's like the brain saying, oh, it's five o'clock, take the edge off. And another, another reason that I'm not allowed to drink anymore. It's my own rule for myself is I don't get to drink to just take the edge off. I'm only drinking for celebratory purposes, like because I'm going to a wedding or Larry and I went to see a comedian, one of my favorite comedians ever down Who? in LA. Her name is Caitlin Riley, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. You got to follow yeah. her on Instagram and TikTok. She does incredible impressions. And so she was doing a show down in LA. So we went down on Monday night, met up with some friends for dinner. And so like I had my planned drinks that night because it was fun, not, oh my God, I'm just so stressed and so tired. Let's have a drink. I think also I fell into a pattern with Larry because he has his kids 50% of the time. So if we didn't have the weekend together and I'd come back on Monday and it's just the two of us be like, Oh, we haven't seen each other alone. So Monday night, let's have a couple of drinks. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Or I'm not doing that anymore. So, um, it feels amazing. And I'm still vigilant about it. I'm not, uh, getting too confident. Cause I think in the past I got too confident with like, Oh, now this is what I do. So I'm like, taking it one day at a time with mindful drinking. There you go. I love it. I love it. That's I love awesome. I love the intentionality around it. It's 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 what's it's what you have to do. It right? takes work and it's still a part of my self-coaching in the morning, right? Like, okay, you had X last night. This weekend we have this plan and this plan. One night you're not drinking. Which night is it going to yeah. be? And I need to think like that because then I will just unconsciously drink. Right, because that's kind of the f- the lure of drinking is the carefreeness of it, the the just default of like not 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 thinking about it. That's the point of drinking is to not think about shit. Exactly. But to go into it with intentional or intentionality. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's very very hard. And could I quickly Quick, squeeze in which yeah, is with yeah, a with please. a heartbreak and alcohol? Um, I do have. I just did a three part series on my podcast about it: heartbreak and alcohol, heartbreak or alcohol and dating, and just your own relationship with alcohol. With a dear friend of mine who's an amazing holistic health expert, Jamie McEwen. 
um, you know, I know that that deeply plays into it. And she had an interesting spin on things. She said, look, if you want to have a drink, cause it's just part of your habit and you want to do that, do that. Just be really mindful of like, that you're not diving <laughs> into the bottle to numb your pain. Cause it will only exasperate the pain. Yep. And I know that that's just yep. the tiniest little thing, but I couldn't help but squeeze that in really quick. No, it's, it's like, perfect. you don't have to deprive yourself completely, but you know, it's like if you were quitting smoking and something terrible happened and you wanted to have the cigarette, like, okay, fine, do it, but don't have the whole pack. Right. Um, so yeah, just wanted to squeeze that, squeeze that in. Claire, give us your number one benefit. Less irritability and more, and like at the same time, meaning more connectedness to my partner. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we asked this question to everybody that comes on the show. Why do you care? Care about what? Yeah. About what, what, what do you, what, what, why do you care, Claire? About what you do? About what I do? Um, yeah. I think life, I'm going to get emotional. I think life is really fucking hard. I think <laughs> now more than ever, living in 2023, we get news at our fingertips that is so appalling and so scary. I think everything's just moving so fast paced. I think just in the dating world, people are treated like objects, like on the apps. It's like, oh, I could go on, out on a date with this person, but oh, I could also just swipe and see what's better. It's like, everything's just going so fast and it's just so easy to just not stop and pause and breathe and look at like what exactly is around you and what exactly it is that you want. But like pain is unavoidable. So I just feel so strongly about learning how to navigate it in a conscious way so that we can live our best, strongest, healthiest lives mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, because if we don't have that, that's how alcohol abuse, addiction, um, suicide, self-harm, broken relationships, all of that fall apart, that there really is a way. But I think now, especially because life is so fast paced, it's so easy to numb out on social media, numb out on alcohol, numb out on sex, rebound to the next person and not just feel our feelings and process our feelings, which will only allow us to live better, longer, happier, healthier lives. Amen. Claire Byrne, you're a saint. <laughs> Peter Byrne, my dad is a saint, not me. Peter Byrne's yeah. a saint as well. We're, if you Thanks, could help Peter, us, if you could help us get Peter on the show, we'd yeah. be very hey, uh, grateful was, for that. He was the Grand Marshal <laughs> in the last St. Patrick's Day parade before the pandemic. Oh my God! And so, uh, yeah, but he would be on to tell you why alcohol is a great thing. <laughs> yeah. We can That'd balance be, it out. We with can that. do that conversation. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, Claire, thank you so much. We we love your your fireish <laughs> characteristics. Uh, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you for coming on. This was perfect. Yeah. Such a blast. Thank you. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. Visit Patrick Balsley's practice, saunacounseling.com, Robbie Shaw's practice, eventiderecovery.com, or visit theblanchardinstitute.com. <laughs>